Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. I don't remember the first time I visited Georgia. It was probably on a road trip, and as a kid, we definitely didn't stop. When I was a little older, I took a trip to Fort Lauderdale with my parents and younger brother to visit family. That time, we made a pit stop in Savannah. My mother wanted to stop and check out Paula Dean's restaurant, and none of us had been there, so it served as a good point in the trip to stop for a break. I'm happy we did. That night, Savannah became one of my most favorite places in the country. Its old-time feeling mixed with a party atmosphere puts it right up at the top of my list. I often make it a stopover anytime I'm passing through the state, and I still stop at Paula Dean's for that heavenly chicken pot pie. Today, we explore the chilling tales of the haunted Colonial Park Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia. As one of Savannah's oldest and most historic cemeteries, Colonial Park Cemetery has been the final resting place for many prominent figures throughout the city's history. But over the years, it has also gained a reputation as one of the most haunted places in the city, with countless stories of paranormal activity and eerie encounters. Some say the cemetery is home to the restless spirits of those who are buried there. In contrast, others believe it is a hotspot for supernatural activity due to its history and location. Today we'll dive into the mysterious and unsettling legends of Colonial Park Cemetery and try to separate the fact from the fiction. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Known as the oldest city in Georgia, Savannah has a turbulent past full of tangled and tragic events. Having witnessed both the Revolutionary and Civil Wars, it's seen its fair share of tragedy. Savannah is a stunning city to explore. In addition to its perfectly manicured gardens and lush, towering oak trees, 
Savannah is home to some of the country's biggest mysteries. The cobblestone streets and the antebellum architecture are unlike anything else in America. The cemeteries across this coastal city are notorious for their eerie and ominous setting. There have been countless reports of spiritual happenings in the cemeteries. However, the Colonial Park Cemetery in downtown Savannah has more history and bone-chilling tales than most other burial grounds. Colonial Park was established in 1750 during the British colonization of Georgia, the last of the original 13 colonies. Savannah was then the capital of the British-controlled Georgia. In 1789, the cemetery reached its current span of six acres after being expanded several times. As the number of tragedies in Savannah grew, the cemetery became the forever home for many Savannah residents. As a result of the vast number of tragedies that struck the area, the cemetery would always need burial space. After being expanded, the cemetery became a primary public cemetery for the growing city after it was initially used as a burial ground for members of the Christchurch Parish. Yellow fever spread across the country in 1820, and many Savannians became infected. The city became overwhelmed with the bodies of those who died. Nearly 700 of these dead were buried in Colonial Park Cemetery. In 1853, the cemetery became overflowing with graves and closed its gates. In late 1864, General William T. Sherman began his famous march to the sea during the climax of the Civil War. He had captured the city of Atlanta and was determined to terrify Georgia into leaving the Confederacy. To frighten the citizens into supporting the Confederate surrender, he destroyed military bases and civilian targets along his path of destruction. While Sherman and his 60,000 troops left a trail of destruction and fear across the state, Savannah was spared. Sherman even donated a large amount of cotton to the city. Colonial Park Cemetery was really the only place in the city that was relatively left untouched. It's said that the occupying Union soldiers sent a message by forever altering the sacred burial ground. As they passed through the cemetery, many remained inside its burial vaults. As a dark and twisted joke, they changed the headstone dates. The soldiers also moved bodies, angering the spirits of the dead. Dueling became popular in Savannah because of pride. Many men lost their lives in and around Colonial Park Cemetery, fighting to the death. After an argument in the General Assembly, Button Gwinnett and Lashin McIntosh squared off just outside the walls of Colonial Park Cemetery. The duel was won by McIntosh, who killed Gwinnett from 12 feet away with his first gunshot. Colonial Park witnessed numerous duels over the years. Countless men lost their lives on the grounds. Finally, in 1809, Governor David B. Mitchell banned dueling. Lieutenant James Wilde and Captain Roswell P. Johnson dueled in the cemetery in January of 1815. For unknown reasons, both men decided their dispute was worth fighting. Johnson shot Wilde in his fourth shot, ending his life. The poet Richard Henry Wilde, the brother of James Wilde, wrote a poem after his brother's tragic death. The first stanza is as follows. My life is like the summer rose that opens to the morning sky. But ere the shades of evening close, is scattered on the ground to die. The duelist grave plaque in Colonial Park features this stanza and the story of Wilde and Johnson's duel. It is a heartbreaking reminder of the lives senselessly lost on the grounds. 
1877, the last known Georgian duel occurred at Colonial Park. Men continued to fight until one died. The graveyard bore witness to many unnecessary and tragic deaths. The number of angry dueling men who lost their lives on the ground is unknown, but their spirits are likely still tortured by the violence they experienced in the last moments of their lives. In Colonial Park Cemetery, many men cursed their opponents as they died. So it's not surprising that these tortured souls remain in the very place where their lives sadly ended. The fur-covered René Rondelier was one of Savannah's most infamous residents. Born in 1777, he was described as a behemoth of a man. His presence and off-putting behavior troubled the town. Rondelier lived next door to the cemetery and tortured and killed his neighbor's pets and wild animals. It is said that with his immense strength, he was beyond control. Residents were uneasy about stopping his violent behavior due to his intimidating size. A wall was built to keep Rondelier inside of his home, but his strength and size allowed him to escape. No fence could keep the man at bay. In time, Rondelier began torturing humans. He discovered that his large hands were ideal for snapping necks of young girls. He reportedly killed them and transported their bodies to a system of tunnels beneath Colonial Park Cemetery. Residents discovered two girls with their necks mangled outside of the cemetery. Rondelier didn't cover his tracks, and his large footprints were found near the bodies. Residents knew that this giant killer was responsible. They decided that only death would stop Rondelier from taking any more lives. So they had left him for dead, hanging from a noose. A mysterious number of victims were found near the graveyard after Rondelier's execution. Did his evil persist even after his death, allowing him to continue torturing and killing innocent people? Could his strength have allowed him to free himself from his noose so he can continue his rampage? Rondelier's gigantic silhouette has still been seen wandering the grounds of Colonial Park. Hanging around his favorite murder scene, you might be able to see the imposing spirit if you walk through the infamous killing grounds. Since history does not record a man like René Rondelier, his story is just that. It's not so crazy to think that our words alone could have manifested some amalgamation of René Randelier, and that he's in there, right now, trudging past the broken graves on the hunt. Everyone tells a version of René, but if you consider the hundreds of people who have told this tale decade after decade, it's not so crazy. As the great general during the Revolutionary War, Nathaniel Green played an integral role in Washington's army. In addition, he is a significant figure in Colonial Park Cemetery's history. His death and burial are surrounded by mystery and intrigue, making the cemetery even more significant. For his outstanding wartime efforts, Green moved to Savannah to work on the plantations he received. The young man lived out his life on his property until his untimely death in 1786 at the young age of 43. He settled at Mulberry Grove Plantation just outside of town. It was a complex turn of events after his tragic death. In the Graham Vault in Colonial Park, Green's body was placed next to John Maitland, his arch-rival from the war, an irony that could not have pleased his spirit. Over a century later, Nathaniel's oldest son, George Washington Green, passed away. His body was placed in the Graham Vault along with his father's. The pair would remain there, next to Nathaniel's enemy, for over a century. Finally, in November of 1902, Rhode Island Society of Cincinnati President Asia Bird Gardner 
orchestrated a proper burial for Nathaniel Green and his son George. Their bodies were finally relocated from the Grand Vault. They were moved to Savannah's Johnson Square, and today a monument stands over their final resting place. Visit Colonial Park Cemetery to see Green's temporary resting place along with his son. There is a plaque near the Grand Vault that tells the story of Nathaniel Green's 114 years of resting next to his enemy. The story adds to the cemetery's rich and mysterious history. With that rich and mysterious history, people have reported some mysterious things happening. Walking by at night has proven to be eerie for those who have witnessed its unexplained activity. And those who do see why it's considered one of Savannah's most haunted places. A mysterious sound has been heard coming from inside the empty cemetery. An unexplained, eerie green mist has been seen gently floating over the gravestones. There have been a lot of deaths at the cemetery, so it's not surprising that it's a hotbed for paranormal activity. Deaths at the cemetery are likely to have been tortured due to the decision to duel. Thousands of years ago, soldiers tampered with the headstones, so that undoubtedly upset the dead that will forever rest in these grounds. We've talked about all that. We talked about the yellow fever victims. We talked about victims of dueling. We talked about the legendary evil René Rondelier and the heroic Nathaniel Green. Together, that demonstrates that death does not discriminate. Altogether, on those hollowed grounds, the cemetery's everlasting population tells an interesting story. It was neglected and deteriorated over the years as the growing city contemplated other uses for the land. In 1896, the Park and Tree Commission attempted to restore the cemetery to its former beauty. Various groups have worked to improve the neglected grounds. Finally, in 1990, the Trustees Garden Club restored the property. All grave markers were photographed and inventoried to ensure accuracy. The restored grounds are open to the public for exploration and enjoyment. The city conducted research to document the cemetery's history and develop a more accurate map of the property. A stroll through the Colonial Park Cemetery will give you a first-hand look into the cemetery's intriguing history. The grounds are open daily from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Once you're inside the iron fence, you'll get a sense of what took place on the grounds. Take your time exploring the shaded grounds as you absorb all the history. Over 9,000 gravestones dominate the cemetery's vast expanse. Its size is remarkable and ominous. The sea of gravestones can leave you breathless. As you travel centuries back in time, pay attention to the headstones especially the dates on the plaques on the brick walls of the cemetery. Visit Graham's tomb and the plaques for the duelist grave or the yellow fever victims in the southeastern corner of the cemetery. There are many ghostly sightings reported outside of the walls of Colonial Park Cemetery after dark, which makes it a truly unique experience. When you walk by at night, you may feel an eerie presence that makes your hair stand on end. Many people have reported feeling the pressure of a spiritual presence. After visiting the Colonial Park Cemetery, you may be interested in exploring some of Savannah's other haunted cemeteries. And luckily, this city has several, each loaded with its own history. There is a stark difference between the graves of the different races in the segregated Laurel Grove Cemetery. There is even a separate entrance for each race. Visitors to Laurel Grove Cemetery have reported hearing footsteps and seeing a woman in a bridal gown walking among the headstones making Laurel Grove a truly haunted part of American history. In addition to providing the perfect setting for a stroll, the Bonaventure Cemetery is also worth a visit because of its stunning landscape shaded by moss-covered oak trees. 
After her tragic death from pneumonia at age six, Gracie Watson was laid to rest at the cemetery. Visitors have reported seeing the little girl as they approach her grave and leaving gifts for her statue, built in her honor. There have been giggling and crying throughout the beautiful grounds of the cemetery, according to those who have visited. Savannah has many notorious haunts, not only exclusive to cemeteries. The peaceful streets have seen their fair share of spiritual activity as well. The rich history of Savannah makes it an ideal place for eerie encounters. Restaurant diners have seen spirits wandering through dining areas. Hotel guests have experienced unexplained visitors in their rooms. Many have experienced spiritual encounters even while walking down the street. Keep your eyes and ears open as you wander the streets of Savannah. You never know who you may run into. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. Amongst the Tombstones I'm writing this because I know I'm not mad. But if I don't tell anyone what happened, I may not be sane for long. I'm just going to start from two months ago when Molly died and my life changed. Nearly all of us have a friend we can truly rely on. One which knows how you feel and think without ever exchanging a word. A friend that no matter how bad things got, would stand beside you and smile and let you know that you're not alone. My friend was Molly. I knew something was wrong when Molly didn't turn up for our A-level classes and didn't answer any of my texts or calls for two days. My dad gave me a lift to Molly's house after school. But when we got there, it was closed off with police tape. The next day, the local paper's front lines read, Man beats daughter to death with wrench, then hangs himself. I was distraught. I didn't leave my room for three days. My life stopped and I was instantly reduced to a curled up ball on my bed sobbing profusely. I knew Molly's dad slapped her around every so often. Whenever I spoke to her about it, she would always brush it off and ignore it. I never thought that that bastard father of hers would cave in her skull with his work tools. Molly's mother died when she was very young. 
so her aunt came to arrange her funeral. She invited everyone in Molly's class to pay their respects. The service was beautiful, or as one could be at a funeral. Though it was the closed coffin, Molly's aunt told everyone what she was wearing. It was the dress she would have worn to her prom that year. My heart broke again when I heard it. It was barely a month ago when we had gone and bought matching dresses. Molly was buried beside her mom in an old local cemetery. Her dad was buried in a different one not far away. After the funeral, I began losing interest in my studies, TV, music, and going out. I often missed school and had frequent calls about my lack of attendance. Molly was such a major part of my life, and now she's gone. I feel as if there is a void left which can never be filled. After a month of mainly living silently in my room and barely going to school, my mom came to my room and spoke to me. She convinced me that I needed to keep on going with my life and that Molly would have wanted me to do so. With time, I began to study again. I even found the fountain pen Molly had lent me in the last class we had together. It brought a smile to my face to see it again. I felt the need to see my friend once more. I needed to tell her I was doing fine and that I miss her. On the way home from school one day, I brought a small bouquet of flowers and made my way to the cemetery. That's when I felt it. From the moment I walked through the gates of the cemetery, I felt a strange feeling, as if the warmth of my body was being drawn out of my skin ever so slowly. I remembered feeling this slightly on the day of Molly's funeral, but I could have sworn it was the cold weather. As I walked along the gravel path to get to Molly's grave, the feeling intensified. I began to shiver and tremble as the heat was leached from my body. My breath misted and my hands went numb. All I wanted now was just to lay my flowers on Molly's grave and leave. I looked about over the weathered and aged tombstones and saw nobody else around, yet I felt there was someone watching me. Very, very closely. I can only describe it as the type of gaze a wild animal gives to a human. Studious and analyzing, searching for weakness. After many long seconds had passed, I reached Molly's grave. The flowers fell from my numb hands and my knees buckled. I fell face down on Molly's grave. All my strength abandoned me and my vision blurred as I slipped from consciousness. The last thing I remembered before blacking out was the strange scratch marks across Molly's tombstone and the shadow of a figure standing behind me. I don't know how long I was out, but I woke up in a dimly lit room struggling to breathe, feeling colder than I ever have in my life. When my eyes adjusted, I let out a choked shriek. A slender creature with tight, charcoal-black skin straddled my chest with its claw-like hands around my throat, barely allowing me to breathe. Drool fell from the corners of its enormous mouth, filled with needle-like teeth as it stared deep into my eyes with large, bloodshot eyes in the center of its face. I thrashed and kicked, but the creature's grip only tightened then spoke in its hissing and ghastly voice. Centuries I have languished in the shadows of burial grounds, feeding on the scraps of souls left in the corpses. But now your entire soul will restore me. The creature began to squeeze harder on my throat, and I felt the blood in my head build up in pressure. I began to feel faint again as my life slowly began to slip from me. Thinking quickly, 
I slid my hand into my pocket and pulled out a pen. I felt its shape in my fingers and knew it was the fountain pen that Molly had lent me. As fast as I could, I flicked off the lid with my thumb, and with whatever pitiful amount of strength I had left, I drove its tip into the monster's eye. The point sank through the gelatinous orb in the creature's head, causing it to throw itself back off me and spastically thrash around screeching. The long, claw-like nails on the creature's elongated, bony fingers sliced across my forearm, leaving four stinging gashes. My strength returned and my lungs filled with air once more. I quickly got to my feet and backed away from the monster, writhing and flailing on the ground. I saw a coffin in the center of the tiny room, and behind it was a small door slightly ajar, allowing a small band of light to illuminate the mausoleum. I bolted for it. Running around the other side of the coffin, avoiding whatever the fuck this thing was, and shouldered the door open. Without looking back, I ran out of the mausoleum and found myself on the far side of the cemetery. I wasn't feeling cold or weak anymore, but I wasn't going to give the creature another chance to kill me. Clutching my blood-soaked arm, I sprinted for the gates, tears falling from my eyes as I ran. When I arrived home, Mom and Dad took me to the hospital that night to get my arm stitched up. They didn't believe me when I told them about what happened in the cemetery. I convinced my dad to search the mausoleum that I described to him. But my dad and his friend went, and they only found its door to be securely locked. I'm now frequently visiting a therapist, as my parents believe I deliberately harm myself so that I can deal with the depression of losing my best friend. At times, I think they may be right, and I did harm myself. I may have made an elaborate fantasy in my head to escape my depression. But when I wake almost every night trembling and drenched in cold sweat to the same nightmare, in which I'm being strangled by this terrifying thing I think otherwise I know I'm not mad but nobody believes a word I say I'm Christopher Feinstein and this is Haunted American History